I kind of just keep my circle small. Just the people who've been through me, with me through thick and thin. Um, I kind of just keep them close, kind of educate them on some of the things that I deal with. But one, I deal with probably one of the most complex mental illnesses. So I don't think anyone will fully ever like understand me, which, which is okay. And I've accepted that. But um, the biggest thing is just kind of learning about mental health issues and sharing the facts with family, friends, and coworkers. Um, I try to get people to see the person and not the illness. Um, I'm just trying to be proactive on the mental health issues. I feel like me helping other student athletes going through similar problems to me is just going to help my recovery. And when I really start to see my work, you know, really making the impact that I want, I know that I'm really in a good space. Okay, I'm not going to get on here and try and act like everything is right and just in our world right now. But what I will say is this. America is a systemic racism problem. There's no doubt about that. And now is the time that we need to communicate with one another more than ever. If you're unsure, just ask. If you're passionate, speak up. Please speak up. This is the time to learn how we can support our black community and what will actually propel the United States forward instead of bringing us back to decades of racist turmoil and injustice. (sighs) Tensions are high and they should be. I get it. So how are you contributing to making our world a more peaceful place where everybody feels safe? Where every young boy and girl not only has the same rights by law on paper, but experiences equal treatment when they walk down the street. George Floyd's murder sparked change. I think we can all agree that he did not pass in vain. In fact, he changed the world. And if, if you guys want to know more how you can take action and help us change the world go check out the episode show notes i've put some links in there uh, so you can go and donate to some fantastic organizations and let your voice be heard let us know what you think sign some petitions there are some great organizations not even looking for money just looking for your name sign get on there tell us who you want to hear more from oh no i don't like that just go from get on there. Make your voice be heard. I know I keep saying that, but it's it's so true. <sighs> All right. Well, today's episode I recorded a few months back. So, of course, things are a little different. No COVID-19, no riots, but the change was still on the horizon. My guest today, Marcus Alston, is a former college football player and a big change maker in the world of sports. And for anyone who has struggled with mental health. I so appreciate Marcus's transparency today. It gets so real, you guys. Oh, my gosh. (sighs) A few years back, Marcus was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, and his world was flipped upside down. He then, of course, struggled with transitioning into life after sports, as we've expressed on this podcast so many times before. It's devastating. I struggle with it. I talk to you guys all the time, like... My 
oh my gosh, my journey with depression has been horrible, but it's my job to talk about it, especially in social media and be clear, be transparent, be honest about what I'm dealing with because you never know who to help. So what Marcus is doing now with his organization, his new foundation, Alston for Athletes, is incredible. He's telling his story, supporting any athlete who's been where he's been. Anyone can take something from Marcus's journey today. You're going to love it. Here's Marcus. Well, hey, I've got Marcus here on the podcast with me, and I am so excited to chat with him today, uh, the founder of Alston for Athletes. So, Marcus, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bridget. Appreciate you having me on the show. Look, really looking forward to this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so real quick before we dive deep into everything, let's talk a little bit about your platform, your mission, and what you're trying to accomplish with Alston for Athletes. Yes. So Alston for Athletes is a sports mentoring program, and we're geared towards helping student athletes overcome their mental as well as their personal challenges as a student athlete. Um, And we do this by pairing them with a mentor, uh, a, you know, a college athlete or a athlete, um, an ex-athlete who's found success in overcoming these challenges. So what kinds of athletes are you talking about? Like you're saying success. What does that success look like? Um, you know, that could just be being the first person in their family to graduate from college, overcoming an injury and being successful, um, and rehabbing, um, you know, just essentially if they're going through a, a, a tough time, um, just trying to, you know, get over that initial hump. Mm-hmm. Definitely. As far as your journey goes, um, you know, we, in a second, we will start from the beginning. But where you are now, it seems like you are, you know, pretty happy, successful. Of course, we all have bad days. But are, are you mentoring people in the program as we speak? Uh, I am mentoring um, a few kids. I'm mentoring a kid in Pittsburgh, um, a kid from my high school. Um, and I'm in the talks of mentoring some other kids around here. Um, in the Maryland area, um, I don't want to overwhelm myself with mentoring yes. kids because I slowly want to um, stray away from that role and start, a, start to focus on, you know, really growing the business and kind of let the mentors take over. So did you start mentoring in like some sort of volunteer program? What really got you what like where did the idea come from where you were like man we should get one-on-one mentors to work with these children because there are a lot of similar programs you know where um where people are trying to help athletes but it's not really that that one-on-one um relationship that we focus on so much right yeah so for me um i just kind of looked at it like i kind of needed someone growing up when I was in middle school and high school, I kind of needed a mentor to overcome these challenges. And um, I'm fortunate enough uh, that my high school, I approached the president of my high school about some of the things that I was doing. And I told him, you know, I would help some guys out on the football team. Um, And, you know, I've been helping some guys out and 
things have been going great. I know with what my vision is, it kind of starts at home, my alma mater, and then kind of start to grow things from there in Maryland. But I'm a firm believer in not limiting myself. I firmly believe that kids can benefit um, through this across the entire country. And I have plans of traveling, you know, to um, Florida, Texas, Colorado, and and California to really um, make my voice heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like your role will just expand so that you can set that example for other mentors and they can start doing what you've been able to do. Yep. Yeah, I love that. Um, and, and like I mentioned, you know, there are so many programs out there like I mean, I can't really name any off the top of my head, but, you know, we look at like Boys and Girls Clubs, you know, a, a lot of like mentoring programs where we're aware that kids need help, but I don't really think that we think about like the mental standpoint or where kids take a turn for the worst. Um, you know, wh- whether it comes to playing sports or not, or or it's something to do with like real life, and you don't know, like a teacher could say something or a friend could say something that takes them down a, a, a bad road. Um, is there something that like has really? resonated with you as far as seeing you know other people help these children and all of a sudden something is clicking in the mental game and these kids are just more successful because they're understanding how to deal with their mental health in a a healthier way yeah i just think i'm a firm believer uh in as long as these athletes continue to slowly open up about their mental health issues, I feel like um, it'll be destigmatized even more. Um, As you know, mental health is becoming a rising topic in our society. Uh, And being an athlete, injuries in sports can happen, and this can have a direct impact on a student athlete's mental health which can also hinder them personally on a personal development level. So my whole philosophy is, so what are we going to do for these student athletes to help them overcome physical, mental, and personal problems? Right. Did you ever experience any injury or something substantial that contributed to your digression of mental health? Definitely. Uh, I suffered um, several concussions at a young age. I suffered one at nine, suffered another one at 11. Uh, I had three foot surgeries. I had a knee surgery and a shoulder surgery. And I deal with the complications of football uh, daily. So, um, you know, there's something that definitely needs to be done um, about this issue. And I firmly believe I'm here on this earth to, um, you know, put a stand to this. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I've I've talked to quite a few people who are involved with, um, you know, research on CTE and just helping figure out um, how we can help our youth avoid concussion and, you know, heightening concussion protocol, because I swear every single year concussion protocol changes. I've I've only had three, but still every single time that I had one, the protocol was so updated and, um, you know, so new and the the science behind it, everything um, that, you know, I'm really amazed. But every time that I have heard from a football player or somebody who's really dealing with, um, you know, the negativities that they suffered, you know, especially physically from football, they all say that they still would have played the game. You know, despite the injuries, despite what it did to their brain, 
Do you feel the same way? I do to, to some degree. Um, I always think about, you know, what my life would be like if I maybe played basketball. Um, but through my experiences, through the injuries, the trials and tribulations, the comebacks um, in, in football, uh, the people that I met, uh, just traveling, and all those experiences have led me to finding my purpose, and that's just led me to Alston for Athletes. So uh, I, I honestly wouldn't change that, but there's part of me thinking, you know, what if? Uh, I, would, I think that if I do have a kid, I wouldn't throw him into football at such a young age. Um, you know, I started at the age of seven. The brain's still kind of developing, um, and the male brain doesn't fully develop until – 24 but i'm you know there's no way that you should be doing high impact at such a young age that's just my firm belief so if i would have kids i wouldn't you know try to force anything upon them i would let them be their own person but if he would like to play football i would kind of give him the tools teach him all the drills uh to basically you know mold him into a good football player and then when his brain's a little bit more developed maybe around the ages 12, 13, when he's starting to go into high school, then maybe put him into football. Right. So and by then the technology would be, you know, a lot, a lot better oh, in terms yeah. of like the helmets and stuff like that and the rules. Definitely. So advanced. Uh, so I'm assuming from this that you played tackle when you were seven. I did. Yep. Okay. So do you, I, I don't really know the stats. I should actually look this up. Have you seen a digression in the number of tackle players as far as it goes like peewee um over the years i I don't know the actual statistics but i knew i do know that there is a decline in uh in football uh because of all the the cte stuff that's kind of coming out and it's you know kind of scaring parents so right right well and the thing is is you, you know we see so many um football players kind of who say similar things like you um pro players who say you know i never want to put my kid in football i I never want to let them play you know of course sometimes it's a very dramatic response but um then then they'll end up coaching their kids flag football routine i mean they'll end up coaching their kids flag football team and it's a way to get them involved in the game without such the detrimental impact like you're saying um and waiting until high school and also for me i think about well, that that kind of helps you avoid burnout in a sense, too, because like I, I started dancing yep. at the age of two and I was burnt out by the age of 20, 24, 25. So I, I also see like all of these really successful football players who are able to run their careers into their, you know, late 30s, early 40s. And I'm like, OK, most of them didn't even start playing until they were halfway through high school. Right. And then some of there are those select few that have been playing tackle since seven. And right. I just don't know how those guys are still uh, play, playing. Right. But, Definitely. You know. I know. I, I don't either. And that, again, comes down to the mental stability. I, I'm, I applaud them. But I also wonder, you know, what goes on there because – Every athlete is wired differently. Obviously, when you get to the elite level, when you're able to play college football or any college sport, um, you are wired differently. You are thinking at an elite level. You're not lazy. And not to say that the rest of America is lazy, but you just you're wired differently so that when you head into the workplace, like you think differently, you problem solve differently. And I so I look at these guys and I wonder 
you know, how many of them are so focused on the game that they don't want to look at what's going on on the inside versus some of the people that are, you know, finally taking a step back, reflecting on what is going on in the inside. And that that is a little bit more of like the old school approach versus like the new school. Hey, like I'm finally going to do some self-reflecting. Yeah, you see guys like Luke Keekley and Andrew Luck, you know, mm-hmm. some younger guys in their later uh, 20s right. starting to retire. And I think a lot of it is due to just the injuries and the whole mental aspect. You see Luke Keekley and, and Andrew Luck and what they've dealt with, with just, you know, injuries. And they're still able to be successful, but they're kind of thinking, you know, I'm getting ready to have, you know, kids. I might barely be able to walk and not have like that, you know, good quality of life, you know, later on, um, when they're, you know, trying to raise a family. So, um, you know, I think personally, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, you see more and more football players starting to retire, um, around, you know, their age. So, when I think of that, I'm thinking about, you know, the new CBA agreement that's tr- that, you know, they're trying to pass and it's very mm-hmm. split um, between the players right now. And I think that really depends on the guys that have been playing a little bit longer versus the guys that don't play that much and have only been in the league for, you know, a year or two and want the same, want higher pay, obviously. And then versus the guys that are more worried about getting injured if they have to play an extra game. So, you know, if most people don't know, it would include an extra game in the season, which to me is unbelievable. Like, in what world Agreed. is that a good idea? Yeah, and, and one thing that people don't really realize is you play a game on Sunday and then you have a Thursday night game. Right. And your body cannot recover in four, in four days and getting ready to turn around and play, like, another football game. And you might have to go in a completely different time zone. Right. Um, and just people really don't consider that. And adding another football game on top of that, I just think is definitely a little little excessive. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, all of that, again, contributes to mental health struggles because these fans are treating athletes like animals sometimes. I mean, I'm sure that you've felt it when when you're playing at when you're playing college football, you're told, you know, win, win, win. And if you're not doing your job, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, why aren't you doing everything that we want you to do, even though they're not out on the field playing? Um, I'm, I'm sure you've experienced that. Yeah, and I definitely have. And one thing that really stuck out to me is when uh, it was Colts preseason game when Andrew Luck announced retirement and the right. fans found out about it. Oh my and gosh. they were just like booing him. And I like, I had like a, a soft spot in that aspect just because of all the injuries that I've dealt with and, right. and the mental health problems. And it, it just really kind of hurt me because you have these fans, you know, that are paying money. They're they're paying money to be fans. They're not there to, you know, take that toll mentally, physically, because if they were able to do those things, they would be the people on the field playing that, you know, playing that sport. And the fact, you know, they don't understand what that man is, what's going on in Andrew Luck's head. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And that was just like extremely unfair. And that's one thing that I feel like, you know, people just don't really understand the dynamics of just being an athlete and really um, what goes into it. People think that we're like Superman, like, you know, we're greater than everyone, but we're in reality, we're just regular people. 
Right. Well, and I, I think of it as like zoo animals. It's like, okay, now dance, monkey, you know, like do all, do all this, right. you know, and it's really sad and unfortunate. And like you, you bring up Andrew Luck and it's, you know, when he had his official press conference, I, I think this is when he said it. He, he even said it wasn't fun anymore. So it was yep. the injuries, it was the mental stuff he was struggling with, but also he was burnt out. Like the game wasn't fun anymore. And you have to realize like at that point, that is when you know. But it is so hard because when you are training at such an elite level for such a long time, football is all you know. Whatever your sport you're playing is all you know. I know that I felt that way for such a long time that all of a sudden, you know, you you, you drop off into this abyss of, okay, what now? Who am I now? I'm not that athlete anymore. Yeah, and a lot of them at that point have struggles transitioning out of sport and then they find themselves, you know, falling into drinking, you know, alcohol and, you know, abusing alcohol, drugs and, and other things like that because they've been doing it for so long. That's all they know. They just, you know, don't that's their identity is that sport and when they don't have that anymore, they're they're lost and um and it's sad, and I think the NFLPA can definitely, you know, do do a better job uh, with that. And I think they will um, in, in the future to come. So. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, it seems like they're getting more involved. You know, players are doing externships. They're preparing more for, you know, life after sports, the athlete and mission. The NFLPA just seems more active. Like, even more players just know about what you know, what is going on? It, it seemed yep. like guys that I've talked to were just kind of like, I didn't even know about all the opportunities that I had, you know, during the off season and what I could take advantage of. And that to me was so sad. Um, but it is their job to make sure that those guys are taken care of because they are putting their lives on the line, you know, every single week. Yep. Agreed. Um, did you, I know for me personally, I struggled majorly when I retired from NFL cheerleading. I, you know, danced my entire life. That was my identity. That was when I struggled with my mental health the most. Did you see a change in your mental health at that point when you left football? Yeah, I, I definitely did. Um, I was transitioning out of sport. I kind of had just gotten into my first relationship uh, all my friends were still in college. Um, I was home, not, not too many friends around the area. I was working full time. Um, and I was just really depressed, uh, just with all my friends being gone, just transitioning out of sport, working full time. Um, it was just so different because like I played football from seven all the way up until 21, 22. Yeah. Um, and it was really hard for me. And then, um, through that relationship, uh, I basically had found out uh, about my mental illness and which I had been dealing with majority of my life. Um, and it's really helped me moving forward. Although it kind of had put me in a, in a pretty dark place, uh, when everything initially came out. Um, but I felt like I had some sort of divine intervention and I really figured out what my life's purpose was. Um, just looking back on all the trials and tribulations I had, um, and just with my recent diagnosis, I uh, just really, my purpose was clear, um, just helping student athletes overcome their mental and, you know, personal challenges. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, I'm just so blessed that all that stuff, uh, happened, although it was a very rough 
you know, year and a half. Um, looking back on it, it's probably one of the best things to ever happen to me. Wow. That is so powerful. And I cannot agree more. I mean, for me, I know the things that I've been through, the darkest times where I've dealt with my mental illness, I would not wish on my worst enemy. But I also know that it's given me the strength to become the woman that I am today. And it sounds like you feel the same way. When when was the first time that you realized that, or maybe not realized, but if you can look back on it now, when was the first sign that you were dealing with mental illness? Um, I would probably say around my senior year of high school, I was mm-hmm. at a successful junior year. I, I was all MIAA, all conference, all state tight end. Mm-hmm. I was getting recruited by Virginia Tech, Maryland, a lot of the ACC schools. And mm-hmm. my dream school was University of Florida. I was a huge Tim Tebow fan and mm-hmm. that's where I wanted to play ball. Um, and I, I had the, uh, I was, I had the opportunity to, to go there. Uh, but I suffered a list Frank fracture in my foot, my senior year. And that, and after then, um, at that point, I was just went down a lot of the, you know, schools recruiting boards. But luckily, I was still blessed enough to receive a scholarship to play Division One football at St. Francis University in Loretto, Pennsylvania. Um, but right around my senior year um, is when I started to see a notice and change in my mental because I had suffered a Liz Frank fracture, required one surgery. Uh, the second surgery, they were taking all the plates and screws out. That surgery unfortunately failed. So they had to go in and do a third oh foot surgery. Gosh. So for about a year, I was 17, 18 at the time I was rehabbing for a year. And that just took a toll on me mentally. Cause it was just like Andrew Luck said, rehab after rehab after rehab. And um, one with my mental illness, how my brain's wired, I deal with stress and trauma differently than others. So that's when I really, because of that, that's when I've started to notice a change in my mental and it just, um, was starting not to get fun. I found myself sleeping more than usual. I didn't go to class, skipped football activities. Um, yeah. And then I went to St. Francis and I was still rehabbing and I knew something had to be done. So I saw a counselor on campus and they diagnosed me with situational depression uh, at the time because I was also dealing with being away from my family, still rehabbing my foot. And I lost my grandmother at the time and she was my closest relative. So that was just like a really, um, a look, you know, not quite as a dark phase as when I like got my proper diagnosis, but that still was just a, a pretty life changing, dark like experience. Um, you know, my freshman, my senior to freshman year of, um, a senior year of high school, freshman year of uh, college. Wow. But it's pretty powerful that you were able to own it and take responsibility and go seek help because most people at that young of an age would not do that. Yeah, there, I mean, there's still a stigma behind mental health. Uh, there's, um, I mean, St. Francis does have mental health resources, but they're still not the best. Um, you know, I've talked to other people at, you know, other student athletes at bigger universities and they have, um, 
you know, one sports psychologist for every couple hundred kids. And it's, you know, you can't manage that many kids just being one person. Um, and just with mental health becoming a rising topic, I think the athletic departments need to provide better resources uh, for the athletes. And that's something that I, I plan on, um, you know, working towards. I, I love that. I mean, I totally suffered from that because our athletic department at Oregon, we had so many resources from, you know, nutrition, so many different kinds of doctors, everything you could need, but not enough help when it came to people who struggle with their mental health. And I've talked to so many of my friends who played different sports and everybody felt the same way. I was like, was it just me? And it wasn't. And we have an amazing athletic department. And it just frustrated me so much that, you know, somewhere so thriving and with all of these resources and that's so beautiful on the outside could be missing such a huge piece. And to me, I feel like my college career could have been so much better if I had that guidance. Um, I had such a hard time and I'm sure that you felt that same way. Like, I mean, thank God you got help, but, um, you know, I, I saw, I sought out a therapist mostly because I was forced to, but, um, in high school. And so that therapist, you know, was in a totally different state in California while I was in college. So it was hard because I was so used to working with that person that, you know, I didn't have that anymore while I was in college. So I felt felt like I went backwards because I didn't have that support. Um, It really wasn't until years and years later, after I was done with NFL cheerleading, when I was able to, you know, work with my original therapist again, on a weekly basis, um, get back to my routine. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, like just establishing some sort of routine, establishing like a circle of people who really support you. Because I, I've got to be honest, I definitely felt like, sure, I've got these great friends, but not all of them understand what I'm going through. Um, you know, there's only still a certain amount of people, just a few that that really understand you know, me at my core and the things that I've been through and understand my mental illness. And that that's hard to accept sometimes. But when I have that routine and that strength and like me knowing and acknowledging what that structure looks like, then I do better every day. Right. Yeah. For me, um, I kind of just keep my circle small, just the people who've been through me with me through thick and thin. Um, I kind of just keep them close, kind of educate them on some of the things that I deal with. But one, I deal with probably one of the most complex mental illnesses. So I don't think anyone will fully ever like understand me, which, which is okay. And I've accepted that. But um, the biggest thing is just kind of learning about mental health issues and sharing the facts with family, friends, and coworkers. Um, I try to get people to see the person and not the illness. Um, I'm just trying to be proactive on the mental health issues. I feel like me helping other student athletes going through similar problems to me is just going to help my recovery. And when I really start to see my work, um, you know, really making the impact that I want it to, then, um, you know, I, I know that I'm really in a good space. Um, 
show empathy and compassion to people in my community with mental illness. I've been working with National Alliance on Mental Illness here in Maryland, um, doing speaking engagements uh, with them. So that's kind of helped me as well as just starting to advocate for mental health and just sharing my story because I'm really starting to see how unique and how powerful it can be. And I want to um, change people's lives, essentially. Big thing that also has helped me is just meditating, um, writing in my journal, doing a lot of reading. I got a dog uh, about a year ago, and oh, she's been great. a great help for, for me. I got a German Shepherd, so I have a German she's helped Shepherd. me get it. Really? Yeah. yeah. She's helped. She's helped me get outside a little bit more, um, and just you know, it helped me not feel alone at all. Um, she's sleeping right now, but she's she's awesome. So, um, really, just kind of grow my like community, um, and just because I'm a firm believer in wraparound care. You know, I don't think just therapy in itself is going to solve right. all your problems. You know, Agreed. you might need ther therapy medication. You probably need to exercise mm -hmm. every day. You probably need to meditate. You probably need to, you know, hang. If you've been isolating yourself, you probably need to hang out with one of your friends at least once a week, get out and, and go, go do some of those things. And I, I will be very honest with you. Sometimes I struggle with those things, you know, right, having same, a yeah. consistent, consistent routine. But, um, I just know that now that I'm aware of those things moving forward with my illness, it takes around five to seven years to fully manage symptoms. Um, and now that I'm more aware, like I just know that I'm going to, I'm on track to get where I need to be. So that's just, that's what's most important. Right. So, when you received your correct diagnosis, were you in college at that point? I was not. Um, okay. I was just getting, um, it was, I graduated uh, December 2017. Um, and I found out September 2018 um, when I hadn't. So what were you, what were you thinking before that? Like, were you just, did you just think that you had situational depression or what was going on? Um, well, for me, I was, I mean, college, you know how that is. People yeah. drink. Uh, it just wasn't the best environment for me. I was drinking a lot um, in the relationship. Uh, things kind of started to go south. Um, and I was just kind of thinking like, when I would drink, uh, like how it would kind of heighten my symptoms. Right. And when I was in the relationship, um, it wasn't the best for my mental health because she kind of did a lot of things that were very triggering to me intentionally. And I acted out in ways in which I never did before. And once I acted out in those ways that I was like, what is like really like going on here? Um, then that's kind of when I realized that it may be a little bit more underlying at that point. Um, just because, like I said, just with all the experiences that I had, the traumas, the injuries, uh, the tough childhood, um, the concussions, um, just me being cross dominant. Like I said, my brain is wired differently. So I handle right. stress and other things differently um, than others. And, 
And like I, like I said previously, you know, seeing the person, you know, not the illness when people are, you know, sick with other illnesses, you see the person and not the illness. The only thing with mental health is it's something that you can't see because it's your brain and it's behind the surface. Right. But I personally believe it's one of the most important um, aspects of health in our society. Absolutely. So when you were officially diagnosed, what did life look like for you? Oof. That was a very, very, very dark phase, uh, very bad social isolation, didn't really leave my room unless it was absolutely necessary. Basically, like if it wasn't getting food, then like I wasn't leaving the house, um, didn't exercise, crying for just no reason, uh, would just lay down in bed at night and pray to God that he would take me in my sleep. Uh, I just really didn't want to like live at that point. Cause like I had already went through so much at that point. Um, I found out about my diagnosis and the breakup was happening at the same time. Um, I found out that the diagnosis of my illness was far out of my control. And a lot of it was because of the things I went through growing up. And obviously as a kid, I don't have a, you don't have a lot of control in, the situations that you deal with growing up. Um, and when all that stuff was just thrown at me, it was just, it was a lot. But like I said, um, you know, probably for about two or three months, it was really dark there, but slowly but surely, like I think some divine presence, like kind of pulled me out of it. And I had a lot of enlightenment on my situation. And I really realized, okay, this is what the cards you were, you know, given, you know, you got to, you got to deal with it now. And just looking at my unique experiences, I'm like, wow, you've had all these injuries. You've had a tough upbringing. Um, you've had success in overcoming your injuries, um, winning a championship at St. Francis. And, you know, you've had, you know, one of the most complex and most painful mental illnesses and not a lot of people suffer from that, you know, how, how who all would suffer from, something so complex get the chance to play division one football yeah. on top of that had all the injuries and um you know me being you know biracial like i take pride in a lot of that stuff you know just the cultural differences and the uniqueness of my upbringing i was just like oh, wow like i'm really really unique and this all those things are starting to make sense this is what i'm here for is to help people like me and um now i'm just continuing to just work at that every single day until um something happens so gotta wow. be patient wow I, I mean but the fact that you are patient the fact that you are owning who you are and loving yourself is the biggest thing i mean you are winning because most people want to just hide or not accept the fact that you know something like that is so severe is going on um because Still, I mean, even though, yeah, mental health is a hot topic, like most people really don't understand the severity of different mental illnesses, especially borderline personality yep. disorder. People really don't understand the depths of it. And I I think that, like you just said, people look at the outside, you know, and, and things could be one way at one point, And then, you know, you're going through something at another. And um, you said how, like, for you to kind of get through things in your routine, 
you need like consistent friends. Well, um, it's hard if those friends don't quite understand. And I mean, like props to you for being able to explain it to people, um, because even though it's 2020, I feel like we're still so far from being able to speak a fluent language when it comes to mental illness. Yeah, I agree. And it, and it's tough. I'm starting to realize it's more of a generational thing. I firmly believe that it are my generation. I'm 24 going on 25. Um, we're the ones that are supposed to advocate for mental health because I'm realizing with like my parents generation is extremely um, stigmatized. Um, and when I try to make people understand, some of my friends are more understanding, but my parents are more closed minded. So if people are listening and your parents are, you know, closed minded, um, I know like how tough it can be and, and it's definitely a struggle, but just kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel and just know that you can be the, the change that you wish, wish to see. I, I love that. And still though, I mean, just you can be that change, but it's like you also have to, even though this isn't something that, you know, you force upon yourself, it's like, I don't know if this is saying in the right way, but it's like when you're dealing with these kinds of ultimately, I don't know, it's a burden sometimes you have to, you have to, you have to accept and take responsibility because sometimes people are, you know, afraid they don't understand. Um, and then just like put yourselves in their shoes, be able to try to explain it to, you know, average, your average Joes who really cannot understand how things work, you know, in your mind. Um, h- how do you do that? Um, I'm not going to lie, Bridget, you kind of stumped me there. Because I, 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 no, 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 no. That's a, that's a really, really, really good question. And I'm so And that's something I don't think I can fully answer just because I'm still kind of learning that as we go. Um, And I'm like, I just started my advocacy this year and I'm like Mm -hmm. slowly learning as I, as I go. Um, But it's really, it's really tough, especially when you deal with people that are so close minded. Um, But you just kind of got to tune that out and just, focus on getting your word um, and your voice out there essentially and live my bit, my best advice would just to be live, live your truth. You know, some people might not like that, but you only get one shot at this life. So you got to live your best life, you know, let your voice be heard. The, the, the power of storytelling um, can go an extremely long way, can inspire others. Um, You know, I've, had people you know inspirational figures who've led me to you know help me on this path um as well but yeah that's still kind of a a tough uh a tough question (laughs) yeah uh, no and I mean I think it's good that again like you're you're aware you're not just trying to mask it with some sort of fluffy answer and say you know everything's going to be okay because let's be honest like that's life isn't always okay. You know, we are humans and we are flawed. If we were all perfect, life would be boring. And, um, 
you know, we are all met with our own challenges. But I, I think, again, like you are here on this earth to be able to impart wisdom on our next generation. And of course, like the things that you've been through um, and the burdens that you bear are giving somebody else the courage to be able to speak up, um, whatever it may be, even if it's not mental illness that they're dealing with, even if it's something um, small, but it could be big to them. And 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 it, it's you just never know who who you're impacting or who you could be giving a little, you know, small amount of courage to on, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, agreed. I, I just gave a speech at my alma mater, Mount St. Joseph High School, uh, for the MLK prayer speech. And when I give my speeches, I always say to myself, all it takes is one person. So if I deliver my speech and I get at least one person to come up to me afterwards and we converse and have some engagement together. I knew that my job is done because like I impacted one life and that's really all, all that I try to like focus on. Yeah. I I love that. I mean, because especially people who deal with mental illness, sometimes you feel so alone. And I know that for me, it has taken times with, random strangers or somebody who has just reached out and said something nice to me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I do matter, you know? And it's, and of course I am doing so much better today, but um, since my adolescent years and the things that I've been through and, you know, I mean, like I haven't talked about this a ton on the podcast, but going through, you know, having the suicidal thoughts, having the struggles that I've dealt with with my mental illness, it's it, it's insurmountable trying to explain it to people. And like, I'm sure you've dealt with this, like going through all the different struggles of trying to figure out what medications work um, and feeling like they're yeah. making they're making you crazy. Like sometimes I just literally felt like, oh, my gosh, I am an insane person. And and sometimes all it takes is it's like a stranger or somebody paying for your Starbucks or whatever it is. And it just makes you feel so important. And I just now, like, I really try to work on that. And that's what my purpose with this podcast is. I'm like, you know what? I never know who I'm helping. Um, I've had people, you know, reach out with DMs who are saying, you know, you've given me the courage to do this. Like I saw your post or I heard this podcast episode and you've given me all the courage to, you know, come out to my family or or uh, seek help for my mental struggles or, you know, seek a therapist. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, I never thought that I would be able to do that because I was always the, the girl crying in the corner. Um, and it, it's amazing because when I do that, it's so much easier for me to deal with my own struggles. Like, because even though I don't always I don't know these people, like half these people I haven't met, but most of the people that have had a really positive impact on me. And it's so crazy to say, but like a lot of them I've never met. And it's so nuts. But it's like, sometimes it just takes that one person to say something to you and tell you you're beautiful, or tell you you're talented, or, you know, say that you did something nice for them, whatever it is. I don't know. It just, it can make all the difference in the world and I wish more people knew that and um especially like like I'm sure you've dealt with like dealing with horrible coaches I mean I had some wonderful coaches but you know I've I've dealt with abusive coaches and people that definitely should not be you know working with children or young adults and 
I think about it and I'm like, if they could have just figured out how to deal with me differently, I feel like I could have gotten through those times in a much, you know, safer way. Um, you know, do you ever think about that? Yeah, no, definitely. But I think that through those experiences and the outcome of our illnesses has empowered us. Absolutely. Although, although every single day is a battle, I don't look at that. I look at the positives. It's, um, it's empowered me to start Austin for athletes and try to create change. So I kind of look at my, my illness as a blessing in disguise because without it, I don't think I would have found the purpose and be on the path that I'm currently on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, you're so right on with that. But it does make me think about one thing when you were working your first job after college I don't or I don't think I asked you what it was but see I've had quite a few gigs before I started this podcast and started working on my own I was working in quite a few news stations um, after mm-hmm. I quit cheerleading and so I felt like because I'm representing this organization because I'm representing you know I was working for CBS or NBC I can't talk about my mental health I can't be honest about things that I'm going through I can't be honest about why I'm feeling a certain way today or why I'm acting a certain way um did you ever feel those kinds of pressures when you were working in the corporate environment not really the only reason why um is because my first job opportunity was uh my college teammates dad um owned the firm and i'm a very open and honest person Um, i'm a mental health advocate and he was aware of what i was dealing with to some degree um so i didn't really have like any additive pressures or things like that because i try like i'm an advocate i try to shed light on you know the things that i deal with and my experiences because when I do that I often find that the person I'm talking to their loved one or their you know their brother their cousin is dealing with you know with something similar um so wow you're lucky because I've had bosses who are (laughs) like mental illness doesn't exist yeah no there's been times like Uh uh, like I said with the whole generation where it's stigmatized like my that stepfather is a um, a vet, and he's told me to my face before that I'm not depressed. So, oh, um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, it is what it is. But we're here to to make change, so we're gonna do it. Yeah. Well, it's funny you bring that up because I I do look at like the older generation, and I I know people on a personal level um, and certain family who I wish that they would get help, and I know that they do need help but they don't want to because of that stigma that I feel like they had for years. Um, so again, yep. we, again, we are so lucky because, um, you know, we are aware that it is something you need to take care of. But, um, you know, like in, in my family, I mean, there are certain hereditary things and I know for a fact, like there are certain, certain, there is a certain someone who I really want to go, you know, go to a doctor um, because it takes a toll on the rest of us. And, um, but again, it's like a generational thing and, um, yep. and it makes me sad, you know, because I just, I mean, there's nothing you can really do about it, but of course, 
you know, things are getting better now, but, um, but I mean, I think it's amazing. The only way that, we can <laughs> do something about it is if we do it together. So exactly, exactly. That's, that's why I try to partner and, you know, grow my network with these other mental health organizations, because instead of like competing with each other, we're all in it for the same cost. And, right. you know, let's just build our resources and our network together and, you know, let's build something great together. Right. No, I love that. Um, so, gosh, I mean, you've enlightened us with so much amazing content. I mean, I'm so excited to see where Austin for Athletes goes. Is there anything else that you want to tell us about um, the future and what things look like for you guys? Yeah, so right now I'm in the process of launching an ambassador and student ambassador program. So I'm looking for ex-athletes that want to get their stories out there that may want to write some blogs, do some videos. We'll get your story out there on our website. Um, same with our student ambassadors. We're looking for college, high school students that want to help, um, you know, put their stories out there as well. Maybe want to learn about business, maybe get some internship experience. Oh, yeah. I'm getting ready to file as a 501c3 as a nonprofit nice. this year. So I'm hoping next year I can partner with Howard County Public School Systems here in Maryland, and they will uh, partner with Austin for Athletes, and I'll start uh, helping kids here in Maryland. Um, and then Hopefully the following year I can start to expand my services because I'm a firm believer, like I said previously, in not limiting myself. I want to start and give back here in Maryland, um, but I eventually want to retire out in California, so I want to work my way um, out there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm out here, so you know what? There, there's lots of people out here I'm sure to connect with. Um but I mean, I, I love that. yeah, I mean, I, I love what you're doing. I think it's super exciting. We'll put all of that information um, in the episode show notes so that people can find you and connect with you. I also I was thinking about that. I'm like getting the high school kids is so amazing. Um, I, I know we were talking about the mentorships earlier, but just getting them involved. And I, I was thinking back to all of the clubs that I was involved with when I was in high school. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I bet you now, I'm sure you've realized it, but I bet you now there's like mental health clubs and things like that. Like, and to me, I feel like when I was in high school, you know, even just 15 years ago, that would have been so taboo. And it's just amazing to see where we've, you know, grown. Yeah, no, slowly but surely. I think, um, I think this decade is where we're really going to start to, to make a difference here. Yeah. So Absolutely. Good, good start to the, to the new year. So Definitely. Absolutely. Um, well, Marcus, thank you so much for coming on the show. I am so excited to share this conversation with everybody. I think it's going to be fantastic. Um, and just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing incredible work, really leaving a positive footprint on our earth. And I can't wait to see um, how us all stand for athletes ends up growing and expanding. Thank you so much for having me, Bridget. I look forward to working with you in the future. Mm -hmm. 
Well, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you loved this episode with Marcus, please give us a shout on uh, iTunes. Give us a little rate and review. Five stars if you're feeling it. And of course, shoot me a DM. Tell me what you're loving about the podcast. We've got so many exciting episodes coming up soon. Of course, make sure you tune in, subscribe, like, love, whatever you want to do. Give us some love. We love you guys. Thanks for uh, staying with us. And of course, like I said in the beginning, if you want to find out more how you can support our Black community right now uh, in this crazy time, and of course, every time you feel like you can give, um, you know, just a penny help. So some of the foundations that I've listed in the episode show notes, a penny, a dollar, whatever it may be, you don't need to be given a hundred bucks. Um, just, just go check them out. And of course, there are some great petitions and other foundations on there that you can find great resources just to find out how you can give back.